This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. On C103. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme and certainly the weather forecast for the weekend isn't great if you're if you're planning any outdoor activities. You may need to make some alternative arrangements. And while the rain keeps falling on us here, the world we know is warming up and it looks like the climate record, another climate record is set to fall within this month because they reckon this month is expected to be the hottest on record. Now, the hottest June on record has already been recorded. That They expect that to be smashed. It'll be replaced by uh, July. And we've already had the hottest day ever on record. And that was earlier this month on the 6th of, of uh, July. And even though new records will be set in July, scientists are saying it's unlikely to remain isolated this uh, year because monitoring by the World Meteorological Organisation, they've confirmed that the period up to the 23rd of July was the hottest three-week period on record and the trend unfortunately has continued uh, since and that comes against a backdrop of intense and prolonged heat waves which has been plaguing South Europe and large parts of, of North America and parts of Asia. The global average temperatures have breached the feared 1.5% increased threshold and what's worrying here is it's done it twice in the last three three weeks and that was the third time we've breached that uh, threshold so far this year. And if you look back on the last number of years there has been three breaches where temperatures went above the 1.5 once in 2015, once in 2016 and once in 2020 and we've already had it happen three times this year. And since May, the global average sea surface temperature, that's been well above uh, normal and obviously that is also contributing to this exceptionally warm July. Now, EU Climate Change Service, they say the world was was seeing a trend of drastic increases in global temperatures and the forecasts for the next few months indicate that the temperatures were likely to remain well above the average. The rising temperature, of course, we know has disrupted the climate patterns. That's caused um, the, all these heat waves, which is leading to heat stress, illness. It's led to deaths. It's fueled those horrific wildfires. There's been drying up of water sources. There's been disruption, obviously, in crop production, travel 
and industry has been uh, affected, particularly across the Northern Hemisphere this summer. It's also in other parts of the world then led to intense rainstorms. Massive damage has been caused by uh, flooding and some hail falls has also, I mean, we saw in Italy, I don't know if you saw those hailstones that fell. I mean, some of them were the size of tennis balls. They were absolutely huge. The extreme weather, which has affected millions of people in July, is unfortunately now we've been told the harsh reality of climate change. And it's a foretaste of what's to come in the future. The climate, uh, the EU Climate Action Service is saying the need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is now more urgent than ever. And climate action is not a luxury anymore. It simply is a must and we'll be doing our bit uh, to try to help save our beautiful planet, our beautiful world in our hours to protect uh, series. And we'll have that at about a quarter to uh, 12 uh, today. Bernie's taking calls at 0818 103 103. Lots of newspapers again uh, picking up on the story of the very sad and sudden death of uh, Sinead O'Connor. And it seems vigils to... Sinead O'Connor were held in both Dublin and London uh, last night. Flowers and candles have been placed outside her former home in Bray in County Wicklow. And of course, there's been books of condolences uh, opened up by the Lord Mayor of Dublin and also the Lord Mayor of Cork. A crowd of about 50 people gathered at the Irish Music Wall of Fame. That's in Temple Bar. And they just gathered yesterday to pay tribute and fans came along talking about uh, Sinead O'Connor talking about how important she was to them and and many of them then started to sing her songs. Many spoke of the importance of her work as an activist, particularly her work with highlighting sexual abuse within the Catholic Church. And then there was a public gathering at the London Irish Centre in Camden and that saw Ireland's Deputy Ambassador to Britain, Fiona Flood, among about 500 people who attended. It included music, it included recitals of uh, Sinead's written uh, work and uh, because it was literally a full house others gathered just outside uh, the venue and people were there to share stories and memories of uh, Sinead O'Connor the the Dublin Lord Mayor Dahi Darashta said on behalf of the people of, of, of Dublin and I think really the people of Ireland, he expressed his deepest, deepest sympathies to Sinead's uh, family and he says the news has come as a shock to her millions of fans uh, not just here in Ireland but around the world and there's no funeral arrangements uh, yet uh, for uh, Sinead but you would just Listening to all the outpourings yesterday, there was part of me wishing that she was alive to hear all of the love and support that w- that is and what is is still out there uh, for her. And as I say, the newspapers today full of various. Um, particularly um, other singers and musicians all paying tribute to her. But there was, and I know one one of our listeners yesterday referenced uh, this, and I didn't quite know what, what was going on until I checked it out yesterday afternoon. It was an online statement from the former Smiths uh, frontman, Morrissey, and he very much lashed out at those who didn't have the guts to support Sinead O'Connor when she was alive. He said she had proud vulnerability and there is a certain music industry hatred 
for singers who don't fit in and they never praise them until they are dead when finally they can't answer back. He said the cruel playpen of fame gushes with praise for Sinead today with the usual moronic labels of icon and legend. You praise her now only because it's too late. You didn't have the guts to support her when she was alive and when she was looking for you to support her. He said music CEOs who rejected her are now queuing up to call her a feminist icon. He said she she was degraded as those few who move the world always are. And then he went on to say, why is anyone surprised that Sinead O'Connor is dead? Who cared enough to save Judy Garland, Whitney Houston, Amy Winehouse, Marilyn Monroe, Billie Holiday? Where do you go when death can be the best outcome? Uh, was this music madness worth Sinead's life? He said, no, it wasn't. He said she was a challenge and she couldn't be boxed up and she had the courage to speak when everybody else stayed safely silent. She was harassed simply for being herself. Her eyes, he said, finally closed in search of a soul that she could finally call her own. So he really lambasted people online yesterday. And I suppose the one thing that we definitely know for sure is that uh, Sinead uh, O'Connor really struggled with the grief following the tragic death of her son Shane uh, last year. And actually on her Twitter account only last month, she shared a heartbreaking uh, post that revealed she was living like an undead night creature. That's how she described herself. She compared compared her existence to being in purgatory since Shane died last year. She said she said he was the love of my life, the lamp of my soul. We were one soul in two halves. He was the only person who ever loved me unconditionally. And she had seemingly reached out to a friend who had also suffered the loss of a child and the pair seemingly had had lengthy telephone conversations about what it was like to lose uh, a child. Um, she wanted to speak to somebody who understood she was simply heartbroken. And then very recently she posted a series of Spotify links uh, to songs, including one that she dedicated to all mothers of uh, suicide uh, children. And she posted links to How Do You Mend a Broken Heart by Al uh, Green. God help her. God help her. And actually talking of the loss of a child and grief following the loss of a child, we will be focusing on that on the programme a little on because I'm going to be speaking with that wonderful group Anam Cara and we would you would often hear me reference Anam Cara on our community diaries when they hold support groups in Cork City and they also hold support groups uh, in uh, West Cork and they are, are a support group for bereaved parents no matter what age uh, your child was when your child passed away and they really are a wonderful organisation but they have released their second series of podcasts these are incredible podcasts and I, lo- I love the idea of podcasts because you can reach people who maybe can't go to support groups or are not ready to go to support groups so we will talk about the work of uh, Anam Cara and what it is like uh, and for families who lose uh, a child it's got to be the toughest, toughest bereavement of all. 0818103103 Bernie is taking your calls texts and whatsapps are also welcome at 0862 103103. Danny in North Cork has been on to Bernie on 0818 103 103 and this is to do with the renewal of his driver's licence. Both Danny and his wife need to get a medical in order to review their driver's licence so they've got into their GP 
get the medical and then go off to the NDLS uh, to renew their driving licence. Now both Danny and his wife have a medical card but when they went in to get the medical from the GP they were both charged €40 Euro each. Danny thinks the doctor will still charge the health board for the visit so are they getting paid on the double? He said the man at the NDLS centre when he went in says he gets the same complaint all the time when people who need a medical to renew their driver's licence people complain about how much they were charged by their GP but the man at the NDLS centre said doctors practices charge different amounts some doctors for example don't charge at all and others charge 10 euro 20 euro 40 euro is a lot I think that's probably one of the highest I've heard from it but on your point Danny did, did does the doctor then get on does the doctor then charge the HSE for the visit because your medical card and get paid twice I can tell you the answer to that is no because how the GP service works for the medical card is at the at the once you register with the doctor and you've got a medical card the doctor gets a set amount I think it's paid every month but regardless of whether you attend once or whether you attend 10 times it is a fixed uh, amount and you'd be surprised it's low enough I know I haven't got up to date figures now but I know uh, back in 2018 it was 9 euro per month per medical card patient was what a GP uh, was getting as I say regardless of whether you never go into the GP or whether you go in uh, 10 times so it is a fixed amount it isn't they're not paid per uh, visit but back to your original one the 40 euro to get a medical a medical uh, done to me that sounds pricey I don't know maybe that's the standard of others gone this is only for people now who need to get a medical in order to get their driver's licence uh, renewed I wonder how many doctors are not because at one, at one stage they, they weren't charging but obviously costs have gone up for the GP practices as well so charges have been introduced it's a little bit like when you go now uh, to get uh, bloods done you have to pay towards the courier that takes the bloods from the GP surgery up to the hospital in order to get uh, tested so charges have come in uh, certainly in recent years 0818 103 103 Bernie taking new calls Cork today on C103 Now last night RTE investigates broadcast a special undercover report revealing how some landlords in Ireland are seeking sex from often vulnerable prospective tenants in exchange for reduced rent are for free accommodation. Mary Crilly from the Cork Sexual Violence uh, Centre uh, watched the programme and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mary. Morning, Patricia. Mary, I have to say, I watched the programme um, I, I, and I was shocked. I was saddened. And then by the end of it, I was starting to get really angry uh, watching it. It was very uncomfortable viewing at times, wasn't it? I think it was very uncomfortable viewing. I think, you know, in fairness, Anne Murphy, uh, when she was in the Echo, exposed this um, in 2019 and 2020 and did quite a few articles. But what surprised me each time, they had no problem finding stuff. They had no problem finding these ads. They had no problem finding these landlords. So it is happening wholesale and it's continuing. And over the years, we would have heard stories from people coming into the centre who say the landlord might have come into the room and said... Um, you know, you've no rent this month, I need my money, unless you want to have sex. And then sometimes they force themselves on people. So it is happening. You know, it's not all just about the people putting the ads on. It is happening. Now, I think the majority of landlords are good landlords yeah. and just want to get their rent and want no hassle or no trouble and, you know, let people live in peace, that kind of thing. But the ones who are doing it, like the guys last night, you could see how exploitive they are how entitled they are, how they kind of minimised and kind of said, it's just a bit of fun. It'll only be maybe once or twice a week. Um, 
and there's no thought about how degraded that young girl would feel if she had to put herself through this or be with somebody she didn't want to be with. And the whole idea of consent doesn't come into it because, you know, you're not really consenting. I heard somebody on the radio this morning kind of saying they hoped that these men, after watching it, would reflect on the behaviour. There's absolutely no way they reflect on the behaviour. This is the whole thing about them feeling they're entitled, they're offering something, they're doing you a favour. They're not illusions, um, they know exactly what they're doing. It's about power and control. And I did welcome the programme last night because the way the housing situation is so chronic at the moment, young, vulnerable girls are really being put through the mill. Yeah, you see, that to me is is the big problem at the moment. And if you have uh, those men who would be willing uh, to go down this route, they know the way the housing crisis uh, is. So the fear would be that you will have more young women who might agree to the arrangement so desperate to put a roof over their heads. And see, the roof over their heads might only be for a couple of weeks. They don't know. It's like even one of the guys in the in the film last night said, hurry up and make up your mind because there's two of them just throwing out and, you know, there's a space and I'll take somebody else in. There's that kind of use and abuse and use them up and then kind of throw them out. And it's really about how these people feel after that, that we'd come across where they feel they couldn't come into us because, you know, they would feel in their own way they consented, but still things were done to them that they didn't want done. The arrangement wasn't kind of kept up and they feel such shame and such guilt, and they feel like they would have been better off really on the streets rather than be degraded in the way they were degraded. So it's all that we need to watch out for each other and keep an eye out if we see something that looks, um, you know, not quite right. There's no harm in asking. The majority of people, I find, in my experience, who were asked something and they'd say, God, that's not what it's like at all, this is the situation, would kind of say, but I'm glad you asked. Because we do all want to watch out for each other. Yeah, yeah. And I think the one that made my jaw drop uh, was the, I don't, well, I'm assuming they're married, the, 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 the couple who were propositioning uh, the, the young undercover reporter. But they initially put out in the ad that they were looking for a Ukrainian. I mean, that frightened the life out of me. It is because, they you know, they're the ones that are really lost and really vulnerable and really have nowhere to go. Um, they know exactly what they're doing. And the whole thing, even about the older man um, who said, the story is now I'm taking you in as a student. Yeah. And the neighbours will think I'm a great guy, kind of at this stage of my life, I'm taking somebody in because I really care. So we say nothing. It's all planned and premeditated. I didn't believe a word of it. But nearly every last guy said, um, this is the first time I have yeah, done this Yeah, I didn't before. either. And, and still come out to my car, like, yeah. let's go out to the car. She said, they all asked to go out to the car. Now, if you think... She had full support of her team, which you'd need doing that kind of investigation for a young, vulnerable girl. Yeah. Horrific going through that. Yeah, I read a piece from that young reporter actually yesterday online before I watched um, the programme and she was saying even though she knew you know, that there was a camera watching her and she knew there was a producer and there was other people in the car, she was very nervous. To, she, 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 like she knew the position she was putting herself in and, and that, she said, it did you know, cross her mind like I don't need this accommodation but she, it, it, it did make her stop and reflect just how vulnerable and how scared a young woman must be going into that situation. And I think she was so good because I think she did put herself in the position and of, be, of being that young person. I think she was brazen in that kind of way. She didn't act her. I think she was the young person looking for a place. And so what you do, like with these guys who are so smooth, so charming, like none of them were kind of threatening um, and they were making it out to be no big deal and were really nice. 
So a young girl gets kind of manipulated by them and does go off with them, maybe into the car, maybe somewhere else, and then what happens from there on? They've no rights. The legislation, which is in place to do with um, not buying somebody for sexual exploitation, that same legislation could be used or could be amended. Now, I know um, Helen McEntee, who I think has done great stuff over the years, kind of saying she has to wait for some review to be done. Like, how long is that going to take? Surely yeah. to God, a small bit of legislation into do it, renting properties or so much legislation about tax and everything else, they could put something in to protect the vulnerable. Yeah, because you're right. I've spoken countless times with with Anne Murphy when she started this work in the Echoes. She's continued it uh, in the Irish Examiner. So it's like it's not like something we watched last night and saying, "Oh, we've never heard about this uh, before." And there was talks about this ban on sex for rent bill that was due to come in last year, but that's that's gone now. It went as far as committee, and then it was kind of dead. But one thing I do like about last night is that people watching it will see what the average manipulator, the average sex abuser looks like. Mm. Because the ones I come across in court or in different places, whether it's for stalking or harassment or, or whatever, um, that's exactly what they look like. You know, guys who will manipulate everybody around them, who people will generally think couldn't be them. They're really nice guys because they've already nearly groomed the neighbours like the old man where people will think he's a good guy for doing this. So in one way, I welcome that, that they could see it wasn't as hugs. It wasn't the people who you'd expect, you know, who have 20 people living in the house. It was the average Irish guy who had a room and who said, isn't this really handy? Have a very young girl in there and I can go in and have sex whenever I feel like it. Yeah, and, and, you know, and it's, it struck me because, you know, they're, they're the average Irish man who you could be living next door to. He could be in your housing estate, you could be in the apartment next to you and nobody would know what's going on. And, and involved in all sorts of community work and everything else because he did, they did come across as kind of charming, kind of decent guys. And I'll say it again, as I've said many times, the majority of men in this country are decent Irish guys. The ones like these who are doing it and the whole entitlement that they felt that they could give a room to a young girl, especially a young girl, um, to abuse in whatever way they felt like it. And they won't call it abuse. They'll kind of say, sure, I'm doing our favour. This is just a... Yeah, a they're almost like we're, we're, we're benevolent. We're so great about what exactly. we're doing. Exactly. And we've, and we there's been so much talk around... Uh, and rightly so, the topic of, of consent. And, and we hear a lot about consent. But, but there's no consent. No, consent has nothing to do with it. And I heard that being brought up in a few instances today and it's nothing to do with it because the power dynamic is there. So somebody isn't consenting. She's doing it because she's fearful of being thrown out or because she can't tell anybody or she already feels degraded and feels very caught and very tired. Consent doesn't come into it. And the ads on the... And they're still there. These you, you, you go looking there. for these ads. They're, yeah. they're, they're, I mean, the, the 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 websites putting up these ads need to step up and do more. I think they do. I think they need to take them down. I mean, if you see, you know, female only. Sometimes I've seen that where it might be, you know, a house where there is four young girls and they want to keep it that way. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, these like a, a single room in a house, yeah. and we only want the young girls. Yeah, but There's to blatantly, blatantly say, you know, reduce rent or no rent for additional services. It's just it's exactly, so blatant. Exactly. And black and white. And yeah. black and white. I would love if the average person followed up on these ads, met these people and then exposed them. You know, because they are happening in Cork and Limerick and Galway, as they said, in Clare and different parts of Dublin. It's everywhere.
let's start looking at them and let's start keeping an eye on kind of what is happening and if we see something we're unsure about, let's just ask. Because and, most and people are okay being asked. The fear is that young, vulnerable girls have got agreed to these arrangements. Not agreed, but have entered into these arrangements. And that's where the girls kind of that we would meet, not too many of them, but we have met a good few of them just feel it's their own fault because they did enter into it. And then they might have ended up in SDI clinic because they got some infection oh. because you talk about young, vulnerable girls maybe who haven't, you know, maybe been sexual or have any of that kind of stuff going on in their life because of their situation. Some will be quite raw and quite vulnerable and they don't know what to expect. They don't know, especially in situations like that, they don't know what they can say no to. Like in a different relationship, a consensual relationship, a girl can say no if the guy wants her to do something that she's uncomfortable with. And I'm sure that happens, you know, mm. in different relationships. But in these kind of arrangements, the girl can't say no to what's been happening. The guy might say, I just want um, normal or straight um, services, but he can demand whatever he wants. Yeah, and the power is with him. No. Yeah, the power exactly. is with him. Exactly. All right. Okay. Listen, uh, Mary. Thank you for that, and uh, oh, thanks thank for you. joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Mary Crilly, uh, bye bye of the Cork Sexual uh, Violence Centre. Did you watch the RTE Investigates program last night? As I say, I was particularly shocked at the married couple, the last couple that that the young um, journalist went undercover uh, with. And, you know, it appeared to me like the wife was pushing it more than anything. But it was just truly shocking because their initial ad, they had looked for somebody from Ukraine. So they were really targeting somebody who perhaps fled the war and had no family with them and, you know, might have had little or no uh, support. That, to me, was a, a really, really uh, scary one. Somebody said those men should be castrated. See, the thing is, at the moment, because we don't have a law to ban um, there's no there's no law that defines that it is wrong to ask for sex for rent because that bill as Mary said only got to committee stage uh, last year and I think it's all being reviewed at the moment so we need that on the statute books so that if it happens and when something like that happens that we saw uh, last night somebody can be brought before the courts your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 you can text or whatsapp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. Now, Us Cork is a project that provides support to all adult victims of domestic violence and they've teamed up with Cork's Gay Project to assess the need for support for gay and bisexual men who may be experiencing abuse are controlled within their relationships. To discuss the Reach Out survey launched to coincide with Cork Pride, I'm joined by Dr Angela O'Connell, who is development worker with Us Cork. Uh, good morning to you, Angela. Good morning, Trisha. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. I suppose for many years, domestic violence against women wasn't uh, spoken uh, about. And thankfully, it is spoken more about more now. Do you feel it's the same, though, for gay and bisexual men, that it's very much a hidden problem? Oh, yes, very much. And exacerbated by a number of factors. Um, we all know that gay uh, men, uh, gay bisexual men, LGBT people as a whole experience discrimination and um, microaggressions, aggressions, victimization, and have done, um, although we hope things are getting better. But these have pushed um, issues internal to the community into the background uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah, and 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 for and and for the all for those reasons, these men would find it very difficult to come forward and say, "I am a victim of abuse." 
Yes, exactly. And this project um, came about because in 2022, when um, COVID started to recede, uh, our coordinator, Deborah O'Flynn, noticed that although we had a massive increase in um, clients overall, men and women, um, there were no gay men coming forward. And so she kind of was alerted to um, thinking that there may be some reasons why this was the case. And in discussions with Susla, um, this project was born, um, the Reach Out Project, which seeks to, um, to assess the prevalence of domestic violence and abuse and control uh, between men in same-sex relationships and to try and tailor our services so that we were better able to respond, respond appropriately. So talk to me a little bit about the survey and, and the type of questions you're asking. Well, the, um, the survey is uh, open to um, all gay men, gay and bisexual men living in Cork. Okay. And it asks um, about the kinds of uh, behaviours that we would normally think of as um, abusive. And then it also asks, do you feel that you have ever been in a violent or abusive relationship? Um, to try and get a sense of what's considered uh, to be um, abusive in gay male relationships. Um, we try and get some demographic details like, you know, where they live, you know, what is it urban, rural, um, what their background is, uh, what their uh, ethnicity is, um, to see if there are any factors that contribute um, to uh, incidences of domestic violence. Because, you know, we all know that power differentials in relationships can cause stresses and can create um, an environment where one partner dominates the other. And if there are additional stresses, you know, additional differences, such as age differences or uh, perhaps somebody has a migration uh, issue, they might not have a proper visa or something, um, or financial differences, these can um, create conditions where um, control and abuse can flourish. Yeah, because, you know, we, we've spoken so much in recent years about coercive control, something, you know, a phrase that we knew nothing about, say, even uh, 10 years ago. I mean, yeah. I, I imagine you would be fearful that coercive control is going on in some of these relationships. Yes, exactly. And there's also the um, element that because um, this is a hidden population, you know, albeit that uh, more and more people are, are out, you know, they're open about their sexuality, there's still um, an internalised kind of shame that we've all grown up with, um, the same kinds of values being um, presented to us um, by society, that uh, we can internalise those values and feel shame about our, our life or about who we are. And this can cause us then to hide um, problems that we're having. Um, there's also factors that are kind of particular to um, the uh, gay community um, that would uh, influence the prevalence. So there could be things like um, HIV status being used against a partner or um, medications for, um, for that or other issues. Um, well, there's a, there's a lot of things uh, to consider. So when you get in the results of the survey, then um, depending on what you find out, um, Angela, what would be the hope to put some kind of services in place? Yeah, uh, to, to have appropriate services, services that um, 
gay and bisexual men will feel comfortable using. We don't know what shape they'll take at the moment. Um, it could be that they are uh, just integrated into our existing services, if that's appropriate. It could be that there are special services, uh, perhaps outreach services, you know, services like um, a particular helpline or something like that might be created. We're not sure at the moment what, what it's going to look like. Okay. Um, at the moment, our helpline is open to all adults over the age of 18, um, male and female. And I'll just give the number here in Please case anyone um, wants to call. It's 1-800-497-497. And it's open 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. Um, but um, we'll do our best to help anybody who, who calls. And how busy are you? Well, I'm very busy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's extremely busy at the moment. So. Goodness, yeah, following goodness. COVID, I think uh, there's been maybe more of an awareness of uh, domestic violence um, because of publicity campaigns and so on. But yeah, um, um, in, in some ways it's good to see people reaching out and getting the help they need, Angela, isn't it? It is, yeah. 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 And I just want to say um, Tussle has been extremely good um, in funding this project and in supporting it. And we're working with Gay Project, who are also extremely supportive um, and have been a great source of information and promotion. Um, so we had a focus group recently with um, gay and bisexual men to talk about the issues so that when we came to creating the survey, we were drawing on international literature, but also on local knowledge and understanding. Um, so the survey then will collect um, some harder data, and from that we'll then um, interview some people to get a bit more in-depth information about the kinds of issues and we'll also try and interview service providers such as social work, Gardaí, um, medical people and so on. Well done, well done. It sounds like it's a, it's a great, it's going to be a great project um, and it will help, I, I, I know that. Um, Angela, how can men access the survey? Uh, exactly the same way as women. Um, helpline 1-800-497-497. We also uh, take drop-ins. Uh, so if you're walking past South Main Street, we're very near um, Shake Dog uh, on South Main Street. So you can just walk in during office hours and somebody will either make an appointment or see you there and then. OK. And access to the survey? Um Yep, access to this service is open to no, all. No, sorry, the, no, not the service, oh. the survey. How do, how do people access oh, oh, the sorry. survey? The yeah. It's available on, on our social media and on Gay Project social media. Um, there's a link there to the information and consent form and to the survey itself. Okay, and have you a timeline on when you hope to have the survey completed? Yes, we're allowing two weeks. Two weeks. Survey, um, and after that, then we'll start on the interviews. Okay, listen, good luck with it, Angela. And, okay. uh, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. OK, thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Dr. Angela O'Connell, who is the development worker with us at Cork. And as I say, if you uh, any a gay or bisexual man, please take part in that uh, survey, whether you've been a victim of domestic violence uh, or uh, not. As I say, you can access the survey details on the Gay Project uh, website. 0818 103 103. Bernie is taking calls, texts and uh, WhatsApp. Apps are also welcome this morning 0862 
103103. And Finbar Sheen has sent in a text to say, Patricia, will you wish my dad, Matty Sheen, a very happy birthday for today. He reared 13 of us in the toughest of times and he gave us the best childhood memories. Isn't that a lovely text? Uh, that's uh, from Matty's son, uh, Finbar. So happy birthday to Matty Sheen. On the programme, the last number of weeks we've, and indeed they say the last number of months, we've been discussing fears that people have locally about their South Stock service, particularly people in the Fomoy Mitchellstown area, even though we've addressed concerns to people in Canturk. We were also speaking about people in uh, West uh, Cork. But in the Fomoy and Mitchellstown area, there's a local group who've got together and they have a petition that they're looking for people to sign to save the South Stock service in that area. In that area, And of course, it serves a huge hinterland as well. It isn't just, this isn't just a concern to people who live in Fomoy and Mitchellstown. So today, as we speak, they are outside SuperValue in uh, Mitchellstown looking for people. If you have worries and concerns about the South Stock service in your area, they're asking you to please sign the petition. And they're there until four o'clock this afternoon. And then tomorrow, Saturday, they will move to Formoy and they will be outside the Centra in Formoy from 10 o'clock tomorrow morning until four. So people in Mitchellstown and Formoy, if you have concerns about your South Stock service, an opportunity for you to sign that uh, petition. Coldplay tickets. Are you a fan of Coldplay or have you a fan in the house? Ha- in the house, if so, you will know that Coldplay are going to. They're one of the most iconic, I suppose, UK uh, bands, and they were originally booked to play two dates in Croke Park next year, 29th and 30th of August, but. The pre-sale tickets uh, went uh, went up earlier this week and demand was huge and very quickly they added two further dates. So it's four dates uh, in total. 29th and 30th of September, uh, of August and then they're also going to play on the 1st and 2nd of September. So there was pre-sale tickets earlier this uh, week and I think when the pre-sale tickets went went up I mean there was massive outpouring on the, uh, social media with you know fans reporting that there was 200,000 fans ahead of them in the virtual queue on Ticketmaster and that obviously straight away signals the fact that uh, demand was going to certainly sell out for the four nights but we were told and people were told that for the pre-sale uh, 10,000 tickets per concert would be sold and then the rest would be left for general sale and this morning at 10 o'clock the Coldplay tickets went on general sale and there was people up early this morning with every kind of laptop and phone and uh, tablet and iPad that they could get their hands on all ready to log in giving themselves as many chances as possible to try to get Coldplay uh, tickets and I was wondering would I hear from any listeners who perhaps were lucky enough to get Coldplay tickets uh, today well I've heard from one listener who doesn't wants to remain anonymous which is fine to say uh, online trying to get the tickets for Coldplay I think it is the most outrageously overpriced concert I have ever seen advertised and they should be ashamed of themselves especially with school around the corner parents, families single parents all as struggling and they're just in for the final and last kill in Ireland as this will be their last concert here so they know a lot of Coldplay fans will want to go I imagine says this texture a lot of Coldplay fans are fairly hot this morning with the prices it's a disgrace 
shame on them and shame on Ticketmaster for the glitches this morning. Uh, that hasn't been helping the situation bring back humanity. And the listener has sent on a screen grab of uh, tickets that she did get offered. And they were tickets in either, uh, she could, she had a choice, great choice. It was the Cusick stand, lower and upper tiers. She could go to the Hogan stand. Uh, anyway, the price of the tickets, the best available tickets by the time she got through was €987.85. Now, I'm €987.85. And I know somebody's going to say, how many tickets is that for? That's for one ticket. And obviously nobody goes to a concert on their own. So if there was two of you going, about two grand for tickets. Absolutely ridiculous. So obviously our listener has declined those tickets and has gone back on again to get back into another queue to see if she can get more reasonably priced uh, tickets. So when she's gone back into the queue, her position in the queue now is 151,027 people are ahead of her. That is just crazy. So while the news was on at 11, I took a quick look on social media uh, to see what was going on with the Coldplay tickets. Needless to say, Coldplay Dublin is trending on uh, Twitter. And I saw one person uh, saying they definitely must have oversold in the pre-sale. How are there limited tickets available after six minutes when there was only 4,000 people in front of me in the queue? This is absolute greed and it's incompetent by uh, Ticketmaster and once again there are a slew of people talking about the glitches in the system when it comes to Ticketmaster and we we already saw it earlier with the Taylor Swift uh, tickets and now we're seeing it again with the Coldplay uh, tickets it's just it's and I think for fans you know for people who are real real genuine fans it is just so so difficult and there's messages popping up on people's screens saying ticket availability is now extremely limited if you're unable to find tickets today we recommend checking back frequently as additional tickets may become available but listen I've seen that pop up on websites like that and it never really happened so people you know hang in there and stick uh, in there somebody else on Twitter says can you explain to me how when you get in a queue and you're number 2500 and you can buy buy a maximum of six tickets when there is a maximum of 150,000 tickets available. Uh, when you get in then they are all sold out. All the low price tickets are sold out and then suddenly you'll get offered tickets and there'll be nearly a thousand euro. Who would pay nearly a thousand euro for a ticket? No matter how much I loved the act I really don't know if I would be paying a thousand for if I was paying a thousand euro, I would want Chris Martin to be driving me to the event and driving me home and maybe taking me for dinner. And I'd want to be taking the seat that I sat on in Croke Park. I feel I would have paid for it. I'd be wanting to take that with me. Anyway, it's very, very frustrating. And my heart goes out to people. So do let us know any Coldplay fans listening or anyone in the household who may have logged on at 10 o'clock this morning. Was, was anyone lucky enough to get the normally priced tickets? I'm not talking about the ones. And no doubt there will be people who will pay the thousand euro. But I'm talking about the ordinary priced tickets. Let us know how you get on. 0818 I mentioned clients climate change at the top of the programme. Texas says, Patricia, there's a lot of talk now about climate uh, change. Speaking from experience, and I am experienced, I've been farming all my life. We've always had climate laws in this country. But no matter what rules and laws are 
have been put down through the years. The Minister always brings in a law to break the climate change law that was there. It's a two it's a two tiered system and the evidence is there in black and white, says a farmer who's doing his best to try to keep within the laws and to help with uh, climate change. On the programme a shocking programme that was on last night, the Primetime Investigates, uh, showing the lengths how vulnerable people, vulnerable girls can go to for, for men who are offering rooms for rent, but they don't want any cash. They want sex instead of a rent. Somebody says, Patricia, is it all men? who are sexually exploiting these young girls are all men being painted with the same brush not all men are like this you know says a from oil and well if you listened to the interview that I did with Mary Crilly one of the first points that Mary Crilly made was that the majority of men would not sexually exploit a vulnerable young girl like the men that we saw on that undercover programme uh, last night. So no, at no stage did we paint all men with the one brush. It unfortunately is a tiny minority but what we do need is we need the good men to stand up and if they know that it's going on, going on we need them to stand up and call it out and that's one way we will get it stopped. Somebody else says Patricia what is happening to those people looking for somewhere to live? Absolutely disgusting. 21,000 ads were taken down. It got mentioned in the programme as just beyond comprehension. And it was 21,000 ads were taken down this year. That's what really floored me uh, as well. But to speak to young girls looking to meet a nice guy, from what I hear, a lot of men are only interested in one night stands. And guess what? The one night stands, they're just interested in sex for the one night. 0818103103. Oh, by the way, yesterday we I was talking about... Stephen Timoney. Stephen is the, the gentleman who came over from America and, and had that, uh, suffered very serious injuries by that assault by the, those teenage boys. And the teenage boys were, well, one was in court yesterday, the 14 year old, he was back in the children's court. And then we heard yesterday on the programme that two more had been arrested. And uh, people were quite shocked to hear that they were out on bail. All of them turned, turned up in court yesterday, or to the guard station, all of them accompanied by either a father or, in one case, a mother, turned up with one of the young lads and people were shocked to see that they were left out on bail and I was saying oh well there will be bail conditions now I can't find out what the bail conditions for the 14 year old um, are uh, because he got granted bail again he was the one that had originally been arrested on Sunday he was back before the children's court uh, yesterday and he all I can find out in the papers today is he was granted bail with conditions but then there was a second defendant was brought before the children's court yesterday this time it's a 15 year old there was no objection to bail but that boy was ordered to stay out of Talbot Street Portland Row Summerhill Gardner Street um, Amien Street and Railway Street and the surrounding areas in the north inner city he also has to obey a curfew 9pm until 7pm he must be at home. He had to provide the guardie with a contact uh, phone number and he was also barred with communicating from the first defendant, the 14 year old. He was accompanied to court, court by his father, sat silently throughout the hearing and then following that a third boy was brought in. This time he's 16. He was again brought before Judge uh, Kelly charged with the same offence offences as his uh, two co-defendants. He also 
there was no objection to bail. He again has to obey a 9pm to 7am curfew. He also has to provide a mobile phone and be contactable 24 hours a day. And he's also been told not to associate with the co-defendants. And he's to stay off Talbot Street, Railway Street and James Joyce Street. Now, that boy was accompanied by his mother. Now, his mother did interact with the judge and she was looking for some clarity around the bail bail conditions. So I suppose she was just trying to uh, make sure that her son will do exactly what has been asked of him by the uh, court. And uh, none of the boys, by the way, have, have indicated a plea at this stage and they now will not appear back back in court until the 5th of October. And it will be the 5th of October when we'll hear the DPP's directions in the case. Legal aid, by the way, was granted to all three. And a decision has still yet to be made as to whether the case will remain in the children's court or whether it will go forward to the circuit court. And this is an important one because if it goes forward to the circuit court, then there's much broader sentencing powers than if it stays in the children's court. And I'm wondering, are they waiting to see how Stephen Timoney recovers? We know now that it does look like he's going to lose his eye, but the big worry and the big concern is, is he going to be brain damaged? I mean, will he be left? um, That his life will never be the same again. And I suppose only time will tell. So maybe they're waiting uh, on that. But I know certainly when I mentioned it earlier in the week, people were saying it shouldn't be at the children's court. It's much too serious uh, offence. They could have killed this man. They literally could have killed this man and that it should go before the uh, circuit court. But that was just an update. Uh, I did say I I would look into that uh, yesterday afternoon and I am hearing today that the government have announced an extra €10 million in funding and this is for Garda overtime in Dublin. The Justice Minister has made the money available immediately and that is obviously to put more Garda on the beat. But the big problem they're going to have there and I saw the Garda Representative Association the the GRA while they they welcomed the announcement um, they said the overtime has been offered because there simply isn't enough Garda to please the streets but a problem that they're going to have is is trying to get the Gardaí to do the extra overtime because many of the Gardaí are saying they're absolutely uh, fatigued and exhausted and burnt out at the moment so a lot of them mightn't have the appetite for working uh, additional hours and while we wait on extra Gardaí to be trained 87 new Garda will graduate from the Garda College in Templemore today. There's another 180 beginning training on Monday and Helen McEntee says if they maintain that momentum and we don't know if they will, they'll be on track for 800 new recruits this year but that of course is going to be 200 fewer recruits than was promised in the last budget when they set a target of 1,000 new Gardaí to be trained this year so that's going to be missed and it's going to be missed for the second uh, a consecutive year. It's just getting harder and harder to get people to sign up and uh, train to be members of Angarda Shikona. 0818103103. Bernie, taking your calls. C103 Jobs. General Operative is needed for the installation of ventilation systems and general site workers in the Mallow Cork area. Uh, call 086 083 2611. Early years educator is needed in the Bantry area. CVs please to kalekill childcare at gmail.com. CE schemes are available in Dramina Village. Duties will include general maintenance, repairs, caretaking, and upkeep of village facilities. Now it's for both indoors and outdoors. More information by emailing Evelyn on Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie.
And Kearney's Centra in Ballydesmond are looking for full-time deli manager. Call 064-775-1110. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Now, a group of prisoners in Mountjoy Prison have rolled up their sleeves to help an initiative to restore unwanted bicycles to be gifted to Ukrainian refugees who are living here since the Russian invasion. Former champion cyclist Paul McQuaid is the brainchild behind the Good Bike Project. And he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Paul. Hi Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme and I remember you. When, you, when you started this, I remember we were talking about it saying what a fantastic initiative it is and I can't believe you've kept going to the point where I believe this week you gave out your 2000 bicycle. That is yes. just incredible. Take me back as to how it all started. It all started um, a year and a half ago when um, the Ukrainians started arriving in Ireland um, I had been fixing bikes for frontline staff workers for free right throughout COVID, and I fixed hundreds of their bikes. Um, and I got a text message one day from a friend of mine saying that this lady had arrived with her two kids, um, and they were staying in the Hilton Hotel out in the airport, and she had just gotten the two kids into a school. Um, and But the school was a 45-minute walk away. Um, so she asked in this Facebook message, um, would anybody have two bikes? So that was on a Sunday morning. I couldn't give her bikes on the Monday, but I texted her and I told her that I'd give her three bikes, two for the kids and one for herself, and just uh, my, my own bike. Um, and the, 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 the effect that, ha- that had um, on the Tuesday when I delivered those bikes out to the hotel was just a, it was a kind of a life-changing experience for me. Um, I've been around bikes all my life, and the value of a bike to me is more than just a toy. It's a, it's, 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 it can fundamentally change your life for the better in loads of different ways. And I get that. I always have. Um, um, it's, 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 a bicycle is a, is, is a bigger deal than just a bike, you know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. when I was cycling home, um, I brought the, the three bikes out on my cargo bike. And when I was cycling back to Dublin, I thought, OK, I'm going to have to do something um, more. There's going to be more Ukrainians arriving. And this is very early on in the war, you know? There's only you know, a few Ukrainians. They're so brand new to us. Um, so I talked to my partner Kelly when I got home and said look um, that was pretty pretty cool what what uh, I, I, I experienced there um, what do you reckon on, on we, we give a give a give a, a load more out and she said okay let's go for it and we set ourselves a target of um, uh, 100 bikes and a few weeks later we hit 100 bikes and I think I was talking to you um, when I was at 250 bikes and then I went to 500 and the, the Dutch ambassador if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Ukrainian ambassador kindly visited my place here and uh, presented the 500 bike. And we thought that was, you know, uh, yeah. you know <laughs> a big deal. And then we hit 1,000. And then um, uh, Ryan Tuberty kindly presented the uh, 1,500 bike. And last week we gave out our 2,000 bike and we had a, the, um, a few ambassadors here and a few, few people to, to mark this milestone. You could so, never have realised that, Paul, when you started no. this. No, absolutely not. Genuinely, genuinely, genuinely. So and then, um, early, pretty early on, the Irish Red Cross got wind of what I was doing and they were, they've, they've been very, very helpful and very supportive. And Liam O'Dwyer, the, ex, um, the then uh, Director General, he actually cycled his bike every single day of the week and he thought what I was doing was cool and he cut me into his office one day and he, and he said, look, how can, how can we help you get, um, get, get some more uh, mechanics? Because I've been doing all this, um, all the mechanics on every one of those bikes on my own. So I said, good man, I like where you're going there and, and come up with a few ideas. And he said, uh, I know the governor of Mountjoy Prison. And he said, leave that one with me. So I said, grand, yeah, I didn't, didn't think anything of it. Two weeks later, um, Kelly and I and Liam O'Dwyer and a few others and a few students uh, were in a boardroom in Mountjoy Prison and the idea of me training officers and prisoners to work on some of the bikes, tra- basically training them to be bike mechanics, um, uh, was born. And um, like it took a couple of months um, with all the red tape and everything to get, get it officially kind of up and running. Um, so for the last few months, I've been over at Mountjoy Prison three afternoons a week, um, teaching prisoners in the training unit um, um, how how to be bike mechanics. And I won't lie to you, when I started, um, initially I didn't want to go. Um, um, I was so like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. It's taking me away from the shop. Um, it's it's going to be you know genuinely a waste of my three hours here, four hours. And um, what what have I got myself in in in, in for? That's just me being honest. Mm. From the very, very, very first um, session, we call them, uh, training those prisoners the noble art of bike mechanics, it's, it's every single session that I've had has been fantastic. Every one of them. I'm not just saying that to be twee or anything. Um, every, every, the positivity, the productivity, the, the excitement, the, the buy-in, the, the dedication, the intent, it's all good with regard to, because, and, and by the way, these prisons know that all these bikes that we're restoring um, are going to Ukrainians, and soon they'll be going to um, um, other um, nationalities, but all, all I can do at the moment is try and get through my waiting list of 
Ukrainians. Ukrainians. And what, um, what I love, Paul, about it is it's giving those prisoners a sense of purpose, but you're also giving them a skill that when they get released from prison, they'll take with them. Oh, yeah, we're even, I've, I've even been talking to a few suits and um, we're, we're looking at um, uh, possibly giving a prisoner who goes through this programme a bike that he restored and um, off they can, off they can ah, go fantastic. to do Deliveroo or whatever. It was. Yeah, so, it's know, great. Those, it's 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 a away. win-win. Yeah, it's a win-win all around. And I was on. You've got you've got a fantastic website. I would direct anybody to go to it, the Good Bike uh, Project uh, website, and you've got pictures of the Ukrainian uh, children and adults who've received uh, the bicycles. And I can see a lot of them have come to us here in uh, Cork. They make a huge difference, don't they, to the refugee? Yeah, I mean, we all know that um, they're staying in places four, five, six kilometres out of town. And, yeah. and uh, that, like, I don't need to bang on because I'm, 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 I've done enough banging on about the, 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 the value of a bike. And this, these bikes are making a huge difference to these people's lives. Um, and when, like, don't even talk to me about kids getting their first bike and everything, and, and, and kids, birthday kids and everything. Like, it's, it, 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 so that's why I've, I've stuck at it because um, Kelly and I are the ones who are getting the emails and text messages from the mothers um, uh, thanking us um, um, in no uncertain terms um, about for the bikes that we've given either them or just the kids. Um, uh, I could tell you stories that would break your heart right now. Good stories, but it would take too long. A bike is more than just a bike. It is, I, yeah. I, I, I've always said it. Um, yeah. And, 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 it, and, and like this whole, the whole upcycling of bikes that have been lying in garages. Yeah, now that's, that's my next question because when I was looking at the photographs, these bikes look brand new. I mean, they're in pristine uh, condition. Talk now, to me not, about. They're not always coming to us in Britain. I know, yeah. I tell, yeah. <laughs> tell me about the, these are bikes that were left in people's sheds, dumped yeah. somewhere, and you can bring them out. I mean, you're straight away thinking of the circular economy and how good this is for the environment rather than a bike being thrown away. It's it's getting a new life and somebody else to use it. Yes. Like some of the some of the bikes we get and um, 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 we collect are, are, you know, can be over 20 years old. Um, uh, over 20 and 30 years ago they made bikes to last you know yeah because yeah. just because a bike has been lying in somebody's garage for the last 15 20 years does 100 percent not mean it's dead and um, the, 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 the the old ones are and like uh, there are very 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 few bikes in this country um that aren't restorable put it to you that way and i've i like a little while ago um ballymun garda station kindly gave us um, we collected 120 bikes from them that had been lying in their in their in their yard for um, over well over a year because they couldn't give them to us unless they had them for over a year. Yeah. Um, and most of those bikes have gone to Ukrainian in perfectly usable condition. You know. So Incl- it, it, including, I heard one um, one man who used to cycle every day in Odessa, 17, a 70 year old man. Yeah, he's here with his um, with his daughter and her four kids. And we got a, a phone, a, a call from the, the, his daughter, their mother, um, uh, saying that her, her father was um, getting kind of depressed. Um, and she came up, she heard that we were giving bikes um, to Ukrainians, and she's really nice. They're all really nice. Um, and she told me that he cycled uh, every, almost every day in Odessa. Um, and if we could get him a bike, it would be amazing. And the funny thing about that story is um, I brought, 
I, I collected that bike from Ballymun Garda Station um, a couple of months ago, and it still had the 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 the, the, the Garda Pulse um, identification crime identification sticker on it, um, and I brought that over to the to the uh, prison there last week, and I said to Liam O'Dwyer um, from the Red Irish Red Cross, uh, I have an idea. We're going to, and the bike was in rag order. Seriously, it was it was in shock, and it was it was ugly as sin. It was really really <laughs> uh, horrible. I said to Liam and um, a few of the other guys, uh, we're going to, I'm going to get everybody on um, my program uh, working on this, and we're going to have it pristine and totally mechanically perfect by the end of the day. And genuinely, they didn't believe me. And when I went to the prisoner, brought it into the prisoners. Um, who I get on really well with now. Um, the relationship has developed. That's one of the cool things, from personally. Um, the, uh, it's weird saying that you're um, uh, developing a good relationship with prisoners, but I'm just telling you um, how, how it's been for me. Um, I said to the lads, um, I have a seven-year-old Ukrainian gent uh, who I would like to get this to tomorrow. And every one of them said, all right, you, do, you did it, you did it. And we just we stripped it down. Um, each one has kind of their own jobs. You know, not, every, not all of them are... Um, um, uh, proficient mechanics, but some of them really like cleaning things. So that's great. Everybody's everyone getting, has uh, a skill, getting, and everyone has a skill, yeah. and everyone is comfortable doing something. And the bike was stripped in no time, and a couple of the lads were working on different, and, and everybody had had their own uh, job to do. And by the end of the day, I literally cycled that bike from um, Mount Joy to my house and back to, into the shop the next morning. And um, uh, we gave it to the to the gent, and he was just he was just delighted. Ah, God help him, God. Yeah, and, really, you, and, really and you cool just bike. and you just think of him in in his be- beautiful city of Odessa, which has been devastated uh, lately. Yeah. Um, and you think of him cycling around, and and he had a love of cycling, obviously, when he was at home. And and because of you now, he can get back up on his bike again. It's fantastic. Listen, um, I could speak to you all day, Paul. It's a fantastic project. Once again, well done to you. And people can donate through to help you because obviously there's a cost involved in doing up all these bicycles yeah there's been a, 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 a pretty uh, hefty um, um, uh, toll on the old uh, skyrocket um, <laughs> but I have I'm, I'm getting uh, support from the Irish Red Cross now brilliant and brilliant. Um, uh, Dennis O'Brien's company Octavo um, have said that they'll come on board and help um, so like uh, uh, yeah I need help now Okay, um, uh, and people I can go on to. I, I, I can't keep going. The, the good, good, uh, the good bike. The, the way it has been. The good uh, bike project. Pretty, I don't want to be moaning now. It's been a hard no, year. No, you're There's not. A lot of, a lot you're of not. You're not. Thegoodbikeproject.com and there is a donate button on that. Listen, Paul, we'll speak again in the meantime. Uh, Continue good luck with the fantastic work that you are doing and so we have a nice positive story on a Friday. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a million. Uh, Bye-bye. Good morning to that is uh, Paul McQuaid, former champion uh, cyclist and his work with the uh, lads in Mount Joy Prison and getting old bikes. And I love the whole thing of the circular economy again and getting bikes that are just dumped in sheds or dumped in the back of Garda stations, never to be used again. And suddenly you strip them all back down and you get them all back up in perfect working order. And then the Ukrainians who are living with us at the moment get to use them. It's a great news story. Well done to Paul. You can text your WhatsApp as to 0862. 103103 103. Ours to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info 
This week on Earth to Protect, we will speak to a marine environmental charity passionate about saving our seas and sea creatures from plastic pollution through regular fun beach cleaning. Flossie and the Beach Cleaners is a registered marine environmental charity and an ever-growing group of marine enthusiasts. Founded by Harriet Donnelly and her daughter Flossie, they believe that through regular fun beach cleaning, junior and senior school workshops and clean-up events, they can make a real difference whilst educating children in a fun, stress-free way, which Harriet explains. Um, we kind of like to cover as many deaf schools around the country as possible, giving free school workshops to the children in positive, kind of happy beach cleaning and climate change education to, to help them feel they have a future and that the planet isn't all doom and gloom. Packaging and small items make up 80% of plastic waste around Europe's beaches, with some of the discarded pollutants lasting up to 500 years. Those are some of the findings from the European Environment Agency in 2023, as it warned plastic waste generation in the continent is growing at an even faster pace than economic growth. Flossie and the beach cleaners have removed tons of waste over the years. 70% of the planet is covered in water, and the beaches, the plastic pollution that washes up on our beaches and that is in fact just choking our oceans releases in the stream mass toxic gases which uh, unfortunately do an awful lot with not helping towards climate change so that's why we clean the beach we want to protect all the marine life Ireland is covered by some of the most incredible marine life that people wouldn't even know about so we want to do what we can to protect marine life and save the planet Flossie and the Beach Cleaners have a big event taking place this weekend, the Big Weigh-In, which is an annual environmental clean-up event with the goal of collectively removing as much pollution from our rivers, canals, lakes and beaches as possible during the set time. We have, I think, four locations in Cork where our volunteers are cleaning up, have signed up for clean-ups. Um, so it literally is a case of if you want to join in, we'll be putting up on our social media where the clean-ups are in each county um, otherwise, if you want to get involved on your own, you can just, uh, we've got about two days left, you can sign up and we send you out your own cleanup pack, your sustainable cleanup pack, um, which you can reuse to clean wherever you want. And then we weigh the rubbish, take lots of fun photos um, and photo anything weird and wonderful, which is most important. And then, uh, and then we post it. And the first year we did it, we got over four tons off the island of Ireland. Last year, we had nearly 500 volunteers and got just bizarrely, only just a ton. We thought there'd be a lot more. and But this year, we know there's going to be a lot more. Even though we're all much more educated, Harriet believes since the COVID-19 pandemic, climate change and environmental issues are only now returning to the forefront of people's thoughts. People still kind of have to get back to using single-use, like uh, coffee cups, tea cups, things like that. There's, there's, that's still kind of washing up a bit since the aftermath of COVID. But on the whole, I think genuinely people are... Yeah, they're taking their rubbish home or putting it in the right place. Yes, on one hand, there's definitely more people taking their rubbish home with them and there's definitely more people putting their rubbish by a bin. You know, like, it's actually a very small percentage of people who genuinely leave their rubbish on the beach because people are like, oh, my God, this is terrible and everyone's doing this tiny percentage and it's actually getting better and better. Also, the councils are putting more bins out. That's very obvious. But, you know, like, places like Cork and Dublin get a really bad, bad rap because, and Galway as well, because they're, 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 you know, cities by the sea. So, therefore, public transport is very easy to get to it, whereas all the little beautiful tiny country beaches, you have to get there by car so they get less human pollution but they get extreme Atlantic trawler fish trawler fishing boat pollution so we kind of on one hand if you take COVID away we really we hardly ever pick a, a mask up on a beach now which is a, a massive relief because the PPE we were picking up was just breaking our hearts. So what type of litter are Flossie and the beach cleaners picking up? 
The normal stuff we get, yeah, cigarette butts, wipes. We can pick up in certain places on Cladder Beach in Galway, in Dublin. It's not so bad in Cork under the lights to tell you that, like, we could get up 70 kilos of people's wipes, sanitary towels and tampons, which is absolutely vile. Or you could pick up people's pennies, nails, the fake nail auction all over the place. Um, we also get things like people's false teeth. Um, like, men's pants are a very common find on the on the East Coast, not so much around Cork and the other side. Um, so, like... Like, those genuinely, I know it sounds mad, they would be very common offenders, along with obviously cans like takeaway packaging, crisp packets and things like that. Last year, over 1,000 kgs of rubbish was removed in the big weigh-in, and the charity is hoping to collect even more this year. To learn more about saving our seas and sea creatures from plastic pollution, you can take part in this weekend's big weigh-in. Visit Flossie and the Beach Cleaners online, and also check the show notes of this episode. Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. And thanks to Mairead uh, Tuig for presenting uh, this week's Hours to Protect and Flossie and the Beach uh, Cleaners uh, continued. Good luck to them. I can't believe the amount of false teeth that she finds and the false nails. Yeah, yeah. And man, the men with their pants. Why are men losing so many of their underpants? Uh, one wonders. But uh, thank you to Mairead for that and good luck with uh, to Flossie and the Beach uh, Cleaners. Don't forget this Sunday the story of the German U-boat concludes with John Green and where the road uh, takes me. This was a U-boat that was scuttled by a very, very young uh, crew. It was just off the coast of uh, Glandor Harbour. And of course, the answers to many of the questions um, accompanied the submarine to the bottom. And on programme number two this Sunday, John Green is going to speak to the daughters of two lighthouse keepers who were actually with their parents in the Galley Head Lighthouse when those young submarine crew came ashore, along with two local men at the sea. Uh, John Green will pay a visit to the dangerous cliff edge where the crew had to climb. Now, remember, they manoeuvred their dinghy through unknown waters and it was in pitch, pitch uh, darkness. So the story of the German U-boat 260 on Where the Road Takes Me. Second part happening this uh, Sunday and Where the Road Takes Me, of course, Sundays on C103 at 7pm. Let me take a look at some of your calls and comments coming in. Oh, can I give a shout out to Paddy in Cove who contacted us this morning to say a parcel has arrived outside his house this morning but it's not for him, even though Paddy's address is on it. Now the name on it is a Miss L. Connery. Paddy lives in Ellenwood Grove in Cove and he reckons that there might be an Ellenwood Grove somewhere in the city or there could be an Ellenwood Grove in any town across Cork. Uh, Paddy, a lot of those, particularly housing estates with a tree in the title became uh, quite popular at one stage. Uh, anyway, um, we have Paddy's uh, number. I mean, if... He, he would like to find the owner and get the package to the uh, owner rather than have to return it. Because obviously if it gets returned, there's a delay with Miss L Connery waiting for her package to arrive. So does anybody know of an Ellenwood Grove, uh, in, except Ellenwood Grove in Cove? Where else are there Ellenwood Groves? And does anybody know of Connery's living in Ellenwood Grove? And as I say, we have Paddy's contact details here. Um, in, he's living in Cove, but we've got his contact details. Thanks for that, uh, Paddy. Now, 0818103103, if you can throw, throw light on that. A couple of people commenting on... Uh, my 
my chat with um, Paul Quaid, Paul McQuaid, in the last hour about this initiative that he started, the Good Bike Project. I just think it's fantastic. And, and I remember talking with him at the start of it when the first trickle of Ukrainians started arriving. And, uh, you know, we started to realise many of them are living, um, they don't have cars uh, with them. And, you know, a bicycle is can be fantastic. You know, your mental health and for exercise and all of that, but just to get, simply get you from A to B. So we thought it was a fantastic initiative. I really didn't think that he'd get to 2,000 bicycles and still going. He's, he definitely isn't stopping. Michael says, Patricia, what an amazing man. Um, the gentleman you spoke uh, with, uh, Paul McQuaid. What an amazing man uh, he is. He is not alone helping provide bicycles for people who really, really need them, but also with the project and teaming up with the prisoners in Mount Joy. He's giving the prisoners a chance for the future. Fair play, Paul. And that's from Michael. And yeah, I think that's what I loved when I saw this follow up story about where Paul had gone with this project. And when I heard about the Mount Joy prisoners, I just thought this is a win win all uh, around. And then that prompted Mary to say, in view of ongoing sustainability, Mary wants to know, are there any bike repair classes going on in the Clonakilty, Dunmanway area? Does anybody know of bike repair classes going on Clonakilty, Dunmanway area. If you do, let us know, please, and we can give it a shout out to Mary. And Jim says, because he heard Paul mention Ryan Tuberty because he was on with the Ryan Tuberty show last Christmas on the Late Late when he was presenting, he was up to, I think, 1,500 uh, bikes. Uh, Jim says, I wonder what Ryan Tuberty got for presenting for presenting the 1,500 bikes. Ah, don't say that. No doubt his age had got a good deal out. Ah, Jim, ah, Jim. Seriously, I, I know he did a lot of charity work as well and actually we're in Tuberty did. Fair play though to Paul for this initiative and Eamon Ryan should be thanking him for fixing and supplying these bikes for those who need and are using them. Yeah, because I strayed away. That's why I tied it in with the circular economy. These were bikes that were going to get dumped and ultimately could end up in landfill. So it's a win-win for the environment as well. Martin in from Moy, this is on the attack on Stephen Termini the American in Dublin and the fact that we now know the three teenagers that were before the courts yesterday, they're all out on bail but with conditions. Martin says that vicious attack in Dublin on that American man, I think those guys who did that attack should be dealt with severely, deal with it severely so as to stop it from happening again. Well, I think that's why the push is to, it's before the children's court because of their age, 14, 15 and 16. But the decision hasn't been made. They can, even with children of that age, they can send it to the circuit court. And of course, by upping it to the circuit court, it they have much broader sentencing powers and much tougher sentencing powers than they would have at the children's court. We're going to have to wait. And I'm assuming we're waiting on the DPP for direction on uh, that. Thank you for your text, Martin. And then on the Coldplay uh, tickets, I wonder, can I check back in with the, the listener who contacted us initially to see, has she got the tickets yet? Uh, no, I think the last she had on it was the, the glitches in the system wasn't uh, helping. Let us know if you get. I'd love her to get the tickets. This is the this is the, the young girl who was offered tickets. A thousand euro nearly. Nine hundred. And what was the figure? I have it here in front of me. What was the figure she got? Nine hundred and eighty seven euro and eighty five cent for one ticket to go along to uh, Coldplay. Uh, Patricia, there are over 100,000 people in the queue at the moment. I think I would prefer, and it might be cheaper, to actually get my tickets for a Coldplay concert in London. And it certainly would be cheaper for sure. I actually heard of somebody when Coldplay announced all these uh, uh, concerts 
somebody heard about the concerts that were going to be going on in Amsterdam. So what they did before the tickets went on sale, they got their Airbnb in Amsterdam. They booked their flights to Amsterdam and then kept their fingers crossed and managed to get the tickets. So they've now got a weekend away in Amsterdam along with their tickets. And I think they did the whole lot for two people, I think for under 800 euro. So they've got a weekend away, flights, their accommodation and their tickets to the Coldplay concert for less than one ticket would have one premium ticket would have costed uh, costed here. So there's a number of people who have done that with other concerts uh, as well. And then somebody else says, Trish, most people are using multiple laptops and phones, and that's why the queue is so high. Tell people to log in every hour today. They will keep adding tickets. Yeah, and that do, that is one of the reasons why you end up in a queue and there's two hundred thousand people. You could have somebody who's in five you know, five times on five different machines. So they're registering at five different people. So yeah, that is an explanation for the reason there are so many. But there's, there, there, there still is suspicions on the pre-sale. Did they sell more than they said they were going to sell? To sell? They promised there'd be only 10,000 out of 80,000 from each night sold. But people are getting suspicious. Did they sell more on the pre-sale? And I suppose we'll never be able to uh, find out for sure. And then, hi, when I mentioned that you could get, a, some people were being offered tickets that up to nearly a thousand euros. Somebody said it's up to an individual, Patricia, themselves, whether or not if you're a cold pay flat. Coldplay fan, and whether you want to pay up to a thousand euros for a ticket. If you're a diehard Coldplay fan, and if you really want to go, then go, pay the money and enjoy it. Remember, it's great for the country and it's great for Dublin to have these big name acts arrive on our shores. Look at the spin-off from it and the amount of money that will be spent in Dublin across those four days. Sure, at the end of the day, it's the first summer where we actually have a normal summer again without any of the COVID-19 restrictions. We've enough of complaining with regards to the cost of living. And as for the listener who says with going back to school costs, etc., nearly all the families have gone on foreign holidays this uh, year. <laughs> and you're right, we do, we do enough complaining. And there are people who will be well able to afford €1,000. And if they are, as you say, a diehard fan, they won't think twice about it. But you can't say that every single family who's facing back to school uh, costs and cost of living cost of living and all that not every family has gone away in a foreign holiday yes there are a cohort of people that have but there's that we we live very much in a two-tiered society we've people who are doing really well and are getting on okay but then on the other side of the coin we've got people who really really are struggling so let's not take away from them they are people who wouldn't even be able to afford to look at some of the cheaper tickets for cold play and that unfortunately is the reality and then somebody else says hi Patricia without even knowing it on the programme today you have just explained why there are many young people today who have nothing in their back pockets and they are the ones expecting free houses etc any person who would give 1000 euro for a concert ticket deserves to be on the streets homeless oh that's quite hard these are the very people who want everything for nothing but by god could come up with a thousand euro to listen to a bunch of clowns oh, sing a few songs oh, if you're a coldplay fan you don't think they're clowns as for the parents who buy these tickets i simply have no words for these clowns either and tell me how can these people spend hours online for a ticket are they on the dole or are they students who probably can't pay for college guess why are and they are they are, guess why after they have to buy a concert ticket we will let the taxpayer pay for the college it's a great great nation we have so somebody not happy about anyone considering paying a thousand euro for a cold play a ticket 
0818-103-103. Bernie is uh, taking your calls. Eddie and Mallow uh, is, was in Ballyduff in County Waterford yesterday and he heard of two ladies who purchased a cottage nearby and it needed to be renovated. So they lived in it for a while, but then they had to move into a caravan so that they could do the major refurbishment work. But the council said that they don't have planning permission to have the caravan on the site. So they now have to go and try and find and pay for accommodation. Eddie says council officials should have more sense. And I've heard of lots of people who have done that, have lived in like a mobile home while they're building or doing up the property. Can they apply to the council? if it's only a caravan, do you need planning permission to put a caravan next to your house? I mean, lots of people have caravans that they use for the summer months and then they'll park it in the driveway or they'll have it at the back of their house. I don't, I I, I would be interested in finding out more about that, uh, Eddie. That really isn't making sense uh, to me if they have it on their own land beside their house. It's a caravan at the end of the day. It isn't a permanent structure that they've built. I'd, I'd want to look into that in more detail. Uh, but thank you for your call, Eddie to 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. To Hallow IFA, they are holding a barbecue in Bob's on the Green. It's in Canturk Golf Club. Uh, tonight at half past eight, and it's to celebrate 50 years of service to Dohallow Farmers. Kayleigh sets in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasig. They are tonight. Music is by Michael Sexton and dancing is from 9.30. Admission €10, including teas and bingo, will be held in Mallow GAA Complex tonight. 8.15. 8.15. The jackpot is €5,400 and that's in 47 calls. There'll be a lucky number game for €500 and all funds, as always, go to the running of the Mallow GAA Club and teams for the upcoming season. And Mary O'Brien has been on by text to say that Brian McDermott will be playing in Kilbehany Community Centre tonight. Get your dancing shoes on. Dancing is from nine and the uh, teas will be served and admission is €10. And Theo Park have been on to say that they will be dancing in Theo Park on Sunday and it is with uh, Dermot Lines. It's just gone off my screen. Dermot Lines, it starts at three in the afternoon and it's on until half past five. That's in Theo Park next Sunday. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. National Child Bereavement Charity Anam Cara. They have launched the second instalment of their award-nominated podcast series called Conversations in Grief. It's aimed at supporting parents who have lost a child. To discuss the latest podcast and indeed the work of Anam Cara, I'm joined by founder and support services manager and that is uh, Sharon Varge. Uh, good morning to Sharon. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, you, you launched the first series of Conversations in Grief last year. So I suppose take me back and talk to me a little bit about how the podcast and why the podcast series came about. Well, I suppose we were um, we, we started developing them in, in COVID in 2021 with that whole thing and not being able to run our face-to-face groups, Patricia. So we felt that if we could do anything online, you know, we had the information packs, um, we had videos that are online that can be accessed from our website, 
but we just felt if even people could just hear the voice, you know, if they're out walking, mm-hmm. they could just hear the voice of, of another bereaved parent. Um, and so that was that was the start of it. And then in fairness, uh, parents connected to Anam Cara offered to help us. And and um, and we couldn't believe, like, you know, how well received the first series was. Um, and that just prompted us to, to do a second series. Yeah, and it, and while it's very much aimed at um, parents who have lost a child, I'm also assuming, Sharon, that people who are supporting somebody who's going through that bereavement journey, they would gain a lot from listening to this podcast. Yes, I, agree, I would agree because I, I think, the, you know, there's a lot of insights that the parents talk about and what they're going through. And sometimes that's very hard to talk about with your nearest and dearest, you know, your friend or your your family member who's experienced the death of a son or daughter. So, um, so hearing other parents and I and ultimately I think Patricia, the the power of those podcasts is is how relevant they are, um, how parents share what helped them, and I think again how they reconnect with their child, how they remember their child now. There's a lot of hope, and I think for someone looking at, you know, a brother or sister or their best friend or a daughter who is grieving. Uh, a child to just get some sense of hope and I think also you know I know for me even um, when I first met I'm a bereaved mum myself and when I first met another bereaved mum it was how they normalised what I was going through I thought I was losing my mind but they talking to them I felt I knew I this is normal this mad feeling I'm having of mad feelings and things I'm doing is normal Yeah that's interesting you say that because I was only uh, talking this morning about um uh, the loss of the beautiful Sinead O'Connor and, and of course everybody knows Sinead really struggled with the loss of her gorgeous son uh, Shane but yeah, a, a friend has come forward to say who'd also suffered the loss of, of a child and the pair had connected um, because she needed to speak to somebody else who knows what it's like to lose a child and it's only somebody else I suppose who's walked walked that journey yeah. can really identify with somebody and that's what Adam Carr is all about it is, it is, it is, um, you know, and even though our the age of the child could be different, like I lost a very young child, you know, I know Sinead's son was uh, in his early 20s, and then you have older children, you know, as well. I mean, children, even into your 40, they're still children, you know, to if, to their parents. So um, I think it's very, you know, it is very pertinent to talk to someone who understands the journey of grief because that is it's the similarities of that journey that connects us all rather than the differences of our child's age or the circumstances of their death. And what format does the pod take, uh, podcast take? Is it a different topic every week or you could talk um, about that? There, well, there's, six, there's six podcasts there and they are parents from all around um, Ireland and um, I know there's one now near you uh, guys up from Kerry who speaks to, so her son David would have uh, been born with a congenital condition um, and a mitochondrial condition. Um, so he had a long-term illness. And then we have a parent who was bereaved by suicide, a very powerful podcast as well. And then we have um, another parent, a mam in Tipperary, whose little baby died um, just, you know, very shortly after birth. Um, we have um, a, a, a dad. Uh, he's actually at the moment currently kayaking around Ireland, but his daughter would have died in in in, um, in a swimming pool accident abroad. And then we have another mam who, again, her um, 
um, son died with an undiagnosed, was only a little bit toddler, but an undiagnosed heart condition, and that was abroad as well. And all the trauma that goes with, you know, a death of a child when you're not in your own country. Mm-hmm. And then the, the final podcast is, uh, again, an older child uh, who just, it was so, like sudden adult death. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's it, so the, the format is the parents share their stories. They're, they're quite short, the podcast, you know, 20 to 25 minutes, but they tell the story of, you know, they, they give you, tell you about their child, who they were, what they were like, and, and then they talk about what happened, you know what I mean? Um, and then they talk about how, you know, the journey afterwards and what helped them, what didn't help them, and how they have reconnected with the child. So even though that sounds like an awful lot, uh, Patricia, yeah. that is, yeah, it's within the 20, 25 minutes. But they're lovely, they're gentle and very relevant. The, the reconnecting with their child, Sharon, yeah. how important is that? I think, you know, as a brief man myself, 19 years on, it's something that we can all do. And it is important because, you know, our child, you know, our child lived as well as died. You know what I mean? And, and you know, um, it is important that to honour them, we keep going and, and keeping their memory alive. Well, you know, for me, you know, obviously I do the work with Adam Cara, but, you know, I do a lot of other things now that remind me of, 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 of Rachel and I do for Rachel. Um, and I know even this dad, that's a, he's kayaking around Ireland. Now, that is a bit extreme. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, he's doing that in memory of his beautiful daughter, Laura. Yeah, I had I had a friend of mine, actually, who lost a son very suddenly and uh, he walked the Camino on his own uh, and he did it for his son. And he said every yeah. step of the and that's way. Where we, and that's how you reconnect with them, you know, because... You know, I you know I remember um, Patricia when Rachel died. Someone saying to you, "You'll carry her in your heart forever." And I I looked at them as if you know, well, that's not what I want. But it it is so true. Like I have two surviving children; they're older now. I still worry about them, and and are they okay? Will they be okay? What's ahead of them in life? But you know, I I I know in my heart that Rachel is safe. That nothing can harm her. And and you know, I try to live the best life I can to honor her short okay. life. Well done. A listener says, uh, Patricia, I lost my son. He was in his late 40s. He died in his sleep two years ago. I'm heartbroken by his death. His death has just left this huge hole in my heart. Ah, yeah. And uh, that's what I was saying to you. Like, everyone thinks when you talk about children, they're small little children. They're not. I mean... I mean, I'm in my sixties, and my mother would give out give out if she saw me going out without my coat on me. You know, so <laughs> mother, like, mammies are mammies. <laughs> mammies are mammies, and yeah. our children are our children, and it's not the natural order of life for them to die before us. So I absolutely and and two years is still so recent, um, recent. And I would say to that listener, maybe reach out to Anam Cara. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what part of the, you know, we've groups in Cork, we've groups in Kerry. Yeah, I may, maybe, yeah, because I was saying that earlier, I'm always um, calling out when they, there's the meeting in the city and there's one in West Cork, uh, as a, there's a, a newish group set up in West Cork. Uh, yeah. And for, for people uh, t- uh, to go to those meetings, I mean, uh, and you know, uh, and I know having spoken with other parents over the years, you know, when you go first, you don't have to talk. If you don't want to talk, you can just sit and listen. That's right. And it's, and it is, you're with people who get it, you know, so there is no word, there's no need for words. But even if you do want to talk about what's on your mind, you can speak the unspeakable at these meetings. And, and everyone does, no one thinks you're mad, everyone understands. So there's a lot of support there for any uh, recently bereaved parents. And yeah, and, you know, sadly, two years is still recent enough. Yeah, it's still, yeah, yeah it's still, yeah. It's, it's, it's not it's still that very long well. ago. And yeah. is it fair to say, Sharon, that the loss of a child is so different to any other kind of bereavement? Um, 
having lost my dad, I would say yes. And I adored my dad and I was only a daughter. But I think when your child dies, it's not just their physical absence, Patricia. You also lose all those um, milestones, you, t- you know, you've made with them. And, and I suppose from babies, you're talking about communions and confirmations and then graduations and, and um, you know, the first job. So it's it's a it's a, an ongoing loss. And I think that's what makes it harder and very overwhelming at times and and again as I said it's you know they're not supposed to die before us so it's you know there's always a feeling of being robbed you know being robbed of their of their presence yeah, because yeah, yes, Rachel was five, wasn't she? When Rachel, she was five, yeah. Yeah, so you would have had all of the, she wouldn't have done the First Holy Communion, the Confirmation, the Graduations, you know, all of that. So, And it's coming up like nearly, it'll be 20 years uh, next year, which is a lifetime in, in some ways and probably to you only feels like uh, yesterday. Rather than get over her loss, Sharon, do you just learn to live with the loss? Is 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 that what happens? Yes, you, you. I suppose we grow bigger as as people around it, and we learn, and we become more resilient, Patricia. So we learn what helps us and who helps us. You know, and and you know, people maybe get involved in different things or start taking up different things. Um, a lot of you know, like I, I know a lot of parents will take up fundraising and start fundraising in memory of their child, which is wonderful. Um, so they, they continue their child's legacy. And I remember someone, a professional, saying at one of our talks one time, you know, every every child, even the littlest baby, leaves a legacy. And uh, we as our parents continue that. So it's, you know, but you still, I mean, 20, as I said, 19 years on, 20 years on, you still get, you know, your, you get your moments. You know, mm-hmm. have, I might be walking down the street and I see a, a little girl who looks like her. I still can't visualize her as a 24 year old you know 25 year old but I would um, see a little girl and you just get the little whack but I think the difference between now and, and going back to the, those early years is that I know I you know I, I welcome the whack Patricia because it, it, it just confirms that the love and bond is still there and that I still miss her and that's important that I still miss her every day um, but yes you know and, and I know that I will get over this but I think for any of those parents like that parent that wrote into you there like you know it, 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 you wake up every day with that same awful feeling it's like Groundhog Day and I think particularly in the second year you know family and friends are going back to their own lives and we're still left you know with our loss so it's a tough time a very very tough time It's like, um, and I just again hope they would reach out to Adam Carr there's the information pack there's the, the videos um, online and now we have these wonderful podcasts and then maybe come to the group as yeah. well. Yeah and that's what I think when you know when I heard about these pod, the, the podcast launching last year the one thing I felt about it was you know not everyone may be able to access because of where they live may, may be able to access the support group and for others they just mightn't be ready yet uh, to do it but that's what I love about the podcasts uh, Sharon anyone can access them no matter where they are. Yes, and and the other thing is that we have online groups as well, Patricia, for people who are maybe it's not a you know a distance you can drive to one of our groups, and the one of the most powerful things we do online is our bereavement information evenings. So again, you know, for parents and if they're maybe older parents who are not very tech, technical, they could maybe ask you know another younger person, another member of the family, to get them online, and we do uh, talks. Um, 
on on um, bereavement information evenings with guest speakers, so they can come in. And again, they can be very anonymous in that in that space, mm. you know, um, and listen to a, a professional talk about grief and parental grief and its challenges and and the milestones and and what helps and what doesn't help. And then they have a chance to hear other parents talking online as well. So again, it's a good way of sussing us out, you know, yeah. as an organisation too. Okay, listen, you do the most amazing work at Anam Cara. Uh, people can find out more on your website, anamcara.ie. And good luck uh, with, and I'm assuming wherever you get your podcasts from, Conversations in uh, Grief. Sharon, a pleasure as always to speak with you. Thank you for that and thanks for no, joining thank us. No, thank you, Patricia. Thank you so much for, for helping us. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Uh, that is uh, Sharon Vard, founder and support services manager with um, Anam Cara. Go to anamcara.ie if you want to find out more. Uh, 0818103103. Our lines are open. Court today on C103. And some of your thoughts and comments uh, coming in on the Coldplay uh, concert. And some people will pay up to a thousand euro for those uh, tickets. Somebody said if all the people going to that concert could spare a tenner for the likes of the Peter McVeary Trust or for the Simon community, wouldn't that be wonderful? But maybe they're kind, generous people and maybe they're doing it already. You would like to think that they are. Thank you for your text afternoon, Patricia. I think the bike man. Uh, that's Paul McQuaid, whose name escapes me, sorry, is absolutely wonderful. I also wonder, would it be possible to get some of the young vandals who are causing destruction on our streets and destroying lives to maybe get involved in similar projects? Uh, could they do it possibly as part of their rehabilitation? Thank you and have a good weekend. I'd, I'd love to see projects like that get off the ground and have a good weekend to yourself. Thank you for your text. And then a completely different topic. Patricia, I wonder, am I the only person who has had this observation lately while reading the Irish Examiner there are a number of job offers advertised but they're mostly paying the same wage which is €30,000 per year and when you level that out over a year I think that's a pretty low wage after tax and everything else is taken into account how can every employer no matter what job be offering a similar price has anybody else noticed that so I did a quick search um, this is on jobted.ie and they are basing their figures on the central statistics office on what is the average annual salary here in Ireland for 2023 and actually the average salary in Ireland for this year is 44,202 so just over 44,000 that's 14,000 away from what this listener is saying appears to be the going rate for a lot of jobs but what, what I looked at then was a list of the different types of jobs where on average you could expect to receive around the 30,000 mark. And there's a lot of jobs, I have to say, in this country. And that 30,000 seems to be the average wage. For example, a paramedic, 34,000. A dental hygienist, 32,000. A postman, 30,000. A pharmacy technician, just under uh, 30,000. An accounting technician and an accounts administrator, both just at the 30,000 mark. A clerical officer is on at 30,000. Customer service rep, 26,000. Uh, a childcare worker, now these, these are average 17,000 for a childcare worker. When you compare that to a professor, uh, when you're looking in, in the education field, can earn up to 138,000 a year. A Montessori teacher, I was surprised, is at just under 20,000 euro on average. Now, as I say, these are all average pri- prices. Looking under finance, a bank teller, 26,000. Um, what else is there? I'm just looking at the ones in and around the 30,000 mark under HR administrator, 28,000. 
And what else do we have under, in or under the £30,000 mark? There was a few others on it, I noticed. A hairdresser on average, 23000 A beauty therapist, 29000 Care assistant, €24,000 uh, a year on uh, average. So, yeah, so there are a number of jobs and under 30000 is the going uh, rate. So you haven't, it isn't that it's unusual, but it certainly is off what is the average wage. And you are right to live in this country with the cost of living and, and taxes and having to pay uh, for high rent or mortgage or, or uh, whatever, for sure, those prices. Uh, it, it is hard to live on a wage packet of that level. And then somebody else talking about the CSO, somebody else is saying, isn't it sad to see so many older people being stuck in rented accommodation? And this is the latest in-depth look for, remember the census that we all filled in back last year in 2022, uh, the CSO are now looking at the houses that we're living in and whether we own our own house, whether we have a mortgage still, uh, we're still paying on that house or whether we're living in rented accommodation and the number of households renting rose sharply as did the average amount that people are paying while the rate of home ownership has fallen. I don't think anyone is surprised but now it's confirmation coming from last year's uh, census. The CSO found that the increase in the number of homes did not keep up with the rise in the population since the last census in 2016. The number of households headed by a person over the age of 65 renting from a private landlord has almost doubled between 2016 and 2022 and that's what our land our listener is saying is a worrying worrying trend and a worrying figure the increase in renters means the rate of home ownership stood at 66% in the census but that's actually down from 70% if you look back on the census in 2011. And then they also looked at the age that people can expect to buy and own their own home. By the age of 36, more than half of all householders now own their own home. Now, this will mean they're paying mortgages on it. They don't own it uh, outright. But when you go back and compare that, that number has been increasing over the years. Let's look back at the census in 1991 more than half of people aged 36 owned their own home that rose to 27 in 2002 it went to 28 in 2006 then it jumped sharply to more than half of the people had to be 32 in 2011 it went to 35 years of age before you could expect to own your own home in the last census and now it's at 36 or in, in 2016 and then for last year's it's now at 36 and on census night in last year renters were paying on an average significantly more than they did on the previous census the average weekly rent from a private landlord stood at 273 euros a week again that's an average but it's up 37 percent over the previous uh, census. The lowest average weekly rent was in Donegal and the highest was in in Dunleary, Rathadown. And then at state level, the housing stock, that increased by 5%, but the population went up by 8%. And this is seemingly, according to the CSO, is only a recent trend that actually began in 2016. Up to that, the numbers added to the housing stock always exceeded the rise in population. Therefore, we didn't have the housing crisis that we have now. And then other data that um, I love the Central Statistics Office and I love their data. Other bits that I picked out from the latest in-depth look is um, uh, almost 72,000 houses 
said that they didn't have a working smoke alarm. It's four percent of the houses. I'm I'm kind of shocked by that. I thought everyone would have at least one working smoke alarm in their house. And then the question on broadband is another interesting one. Seventy nine percent of occupied houses have connection to a broadband. However, one in five households headed up by somebody aged sixty five or over has no internet connection of any any kind. And that compares, if you look at the younger age group, only 3% of households headed, headed by people aged 30 to 44, only 3% didn't have broadband. So again, we're looking at that digital divide with some of our older um, uh, people. Um, and actually, we're going to be talking about that on Monday on the programme because we've just discovered that for people who, who might be wanting to go to the ploughing, that and I'm open to correction and I'll find out more over the weekend, but I think this is the first time. If you want to go to the ploughing championships this year, you have to book your tickets online. Uh, that's what they're encouraging everybody to do. And then if there's any tickets left, they will sell them at the gate. But when you get to the gate, they're, they're, they're not taking cash. And um, I think this is the first time that has happened. But the problem with booking it online for the one in five households with somebody over the age of 65, they mightn't have access to broadband or anybody to help them to buy their tickets online. So we're back again to a divide between older and younger people uh, when it comes to accessing things online. But it's confirmed now in the CSO figures that one in five over the age of 65 do not have any type of uh, an internet connection and just staying on houses with the CSO vacant uh, houses 48,000 uh, vacant uh, houses and that's 2% of the housing stock that's how many homes were vacant on census night in 2022 that's where I wrap it up for today and indeed for this week my thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing and sitting in for John Paul for the last two weeks he's back with us on Monday until Monday at 10 I'm Patricia Messenger a very good afternoon